DJ, PK, and we're joined now by John Clayton. You remember him from ESPN. He's a contributing columnist at the Washington Post and a host on 710 ESPN Seattle. John, good morning. Good morning, guys. So I guess the question here with the NFL draft looming is, are we going to see any craziness because they're doing this virtual draft, social distancing? Will that lead to some miscommunication and some foul up and someone's going to, something's going to get messed up and it's going to become legend? Yeah, I would think so. Because, you know, and you know how it is right now in, in radio, when you have, uh, you know, everybody uh, working from home on uh, Wi-Fi and, you know, Comrexes and things like that. I mean, how many times does somebody, you know, blink out and all this? So, like, for example, you worry about maybe being in Tampa or something like that, if there's going to be a big lightning storm or thunderstorm or something like that. So you figure that there's going to be things that can go wrong, and it's going to be so different in that regard. But in the end, everybody has to try to figure out how to make it work. Because, again, I think it's the wise thing to go ahead with the draft because try to push it back. You don't know when to be able to push it back. I mean, it could be back to July if possible. So, no, I think you just go ahead and make the best of the bad situation. Well, John, I am sitting at home using my Comrex right now, so hopefully that you didn't jinx me and that uh, everything not. goes well. <laughs> I saw that you wrote a piece that, uh, you know, because of this unique situation, it may hinder trades, but you think that trades are still going to happen. We can't predict that, but what are you looking at as far as activity? Well, I go back three years, and the reason I went back three years is now you have the compensatory picks, the 32 compensatory picks that were going to be tradable. And so in those three years, you know, it was 111 trades, an average of 37 a year, and 23 of them on the average were in the third day of the draft. And so what I think you'll see, pretty much the normal level for what happens in the first two rounds because, you know, you certainly, like, for example, I know Bob Quinn, the manager, general manager of the Detroit Lions today, said that the, if he trades from three, he'll have the deal done by Thursday afternoon. And so I think some of those pre-deals can be done, and you still have 10 minutes to work a trade, so I think that can happen. In the second round, you got seven minutes. That's still possible. When you get to the third round and you go through six, I mean, you only have five minutes. That may not be enough time. So I think you're going to see probably half the number of trades in the third day of the draft. And you only have four minutes in the seventh round. So I think you'll see a cut down there. And, again, the key is, I mean, you've got to make the trades and then still be able to get the picks in and get the trade information. I mean, if you have some complicated trade you know, with uh, you know, a fourth-round pick next year and blah, 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 I mean, it just may take too much time. Obviously, among the local players we're following here, there's several There's several good stories. Quarterbacks, well, it's, it's quarterback. It's always a huge story. So where does Jordan Love stack up among the quarterbacks? How quickly are the quarterbacks going to go off the board, and where do you think Jordan might end up? Well, certainly Joe Burrow is going to go number one to Cincinnati, and then it's a matter uh, what do the Chargers want to do because the Chargers are sitting at six. And I think Tom Telesco has a history of being worried about players with injury histories. And so because of that, and I think that uh, that would probably prevent him from wanting to take Tua. So he may have to trade up to three to get Justin Herbert. And then uh, Tua goes number five to Miami. And then figuring out where Jordan Love goes is probably the biggest mystery of all because he's a top 14, top 15 pick. But, you know, it's kind of like the situation – years ago with Aaron Rodgers because I remember uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers was sitting there and it was 2005 and he drops all the way down to 24 
<laughs> because what you have is a lot of AFC teams and a lot of teams that may not be looking for quarterbacks. Either they have young quarterbacks or quarterbacks that are taken care of. So he could go 23. He could go somewhere like that. But the, you know, the only thing holding back Jordan Love right now is the teams in need of quarterbacks. So in virtually every mock draft, and I've looked probably at about 25 of them, I'm looking at one right now. Pretty much everybody has, in one order or another, the Dolphins taking a quarterback at five, the Chargers taking a quarterback at six, and we'll see how that plans out, whether it's Herbert or Tagovailoa, vice versa, whatever it might be. But my thought for you, with it seems like a consensus that the Dolphins are going to go with a quarterback, uh, does that mean Josh Rosen is going to go the way of Matt Leinart as far as being a bust? Yeah, it's pretty much the same situation he was experiencing in Arizona that uh, you know most likely they'll have to end up trading him or seeing if there is an ability to trade him. Now, again, the trade market is not going to be necessarily as good as last year for trading a quarterback like Josh Rosen. But I think the one thing, and again, we always, we always have to put the difference this year with the virus and what's going on because the expectation for all rookies has to be less. And so, for example, I mean, there's a thought going around the league that virtually none of these quarterbacks that are drafted could have enough time to be ready to be starters in the NFL because you don't have an offseason program. You don't have you may have a shortened training camp. I mean, there's so many things that work against them. Maybe that gives Josh Rosen, because he was there last year, the chance to maybe stay on the team and then uh, to a has a chance to just you know sit, 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 and then at some point start. But uh, I think you have to put that into a factor. And in fact, because we still don't know for sure, you know, if there's going to be a 16 game season. And so because of that, you don't know if there's going to be a delay in the start of the season. So that, that those factor in there too. That's why if you're Miami and you think two is the best quarterback, which I think they do, you take him. And but uh, you know, for Rosen, probably it's not a good situation for him. John Clayton joining us here. And so, John, when you're talking to people or texting with people and they can talk privately and tell you what they really think, what do they think the NFL season is going to look like? Will it start on time or late? Will there be fans or not? Will it be 16 games or not? You, you can have the opinions, but nobody knows for sure. I mean, because, again, you know, there's still time, but certainly – it's going to be so different. I mean, for example, what you're looking at in Los Angeles, the mayor and everybody in politics there says that they see no way that you're going to have any type of uh, game with fans in uh, probably the whole state of California. You probably throw in uh, New Jersey, too, because of how bad things have been. And so now what you have to consider is that the, you know there may be – you know, games now, uh, and maybe a lot of games played, but no fans in there. And so uh, I know the contingencies right now, they, they're going to put some of the non-division games up in the first four weeks because if they need to eliminate games and go to a 14-game schedule, they'll wipe two weeks out there. They'll wipe two more weeks out of the second part to go to a 12-game schedule. But, you know, still there's the looming possibility that uh, you may see football with no fans in. We already know from the college standpoint there's a growing likelihood that they're because they need the fans, they probably will wait till February and go February to May. But I think there's, you know, but no, no from the NFL standpoint, nobody knows for sure. Speaking of nobody knows for sure, what do you think the Patriots are going to do as far as their quarterback position? Is it going to be involved with some trades or drafts? I think right now, no, let's say that Tua does drop. 
then I can see the possibility of them trading up and getting Tua. But uh, if not, I mean, they can go for Jordan Love at 23. More likely than not, they'll take a position player. And then I think in the second, third round, that's when they'll start looking for quarterbacks, whether it's going to be Jalen Hurst or Jake Fromm or somebody like that. It could be uh, you know Jason Eason or Jacob Eason. I mean, so they're going to take somebody in the first three rounds. But at least the plan right now seems to be they like Jared Stidham. And so they're going to probably go with him and Brian Hoyer and then groom a quarterback uh, from the draft behind those two. John Clayton joining us, Washington Post contributing columnist, host on 710 ESPN Seattle to talk NFL draft. The Utes are going to have a lot of players drafted. It seems like a half dozen is a lock, and possibly it'll be more than that. You have a line on how many guys will be drafted and how many of them will go the first two days and have a really good chance of making rosters. Hi, you know, the one thing is is that the you know with the rosters expanding a little bit, I mean it gives most of the players a good chance to go. But uh, you know, you know, when you start to look at the uh, the list right now, you know, I didn't have as many going in the first three rounds. But uh, clearly, I mean, what, what are we looking at? Probably five, four or five, maybe six guys. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, Jalen Johnson yeah. being a potential first round pick. Yeah, and because I have him right now. Uh, pretty much right on the fringe of you know being in the first round, you know because obviously there's some injury situations and that. But uh, you know he should be in pretty good shape. Yeah, you know, that's the one thing. I mean, it's a, it's a really good cornerback class. It's a phenomenal wide receiver class. Uh, and now because again, I had 18 receivers going in the first three rounds, and you know you're going to get third round grades that'll go into the fourth and fifth round on the wide receivers. Zach Moss at running back. I know he's one of the 58 players who's been invited. Do you? think he's a second or third round guy yeah you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh seattle would take him in the because uh, they have two low picks <clears throat> including the 32nd pick in the second round i think he could be a candidate there now again it's not a matter of him starting it's a matter because chris carson's a starter and a real good one but he's coming off a hip injury uh and had a hip surgery uh, so it's like no surgery but a hip injury and uh, Rashad Penny is coming off an ACL, and the earliest he's going to be able to go probably is going to be seven weeks into the season. So I could see Moss being the big type of back that uh, you know could go there. You speak of, John, of receivers being a great class, and, and a lot of mock drafts have several receivers going in the first round. I wanted to ask you, do you think and and the way the NFL is constituted today, not a top flight uh, DeAndre Hopkins or Jerry, Judy, and whoever it might be in this particular draft. Not a top-flight kid at receiver, but say a decent receiver. In today's NFL, is his value more than a better-than-average running back? Uh, yeah, I would say, well, I don't know. Right now, it's, it's interesting because you know receivers make more money than running backs, and we put Christian McCaffrey aside but uh, you know you're watching guys that you never expected. You know, like for example, nobody did anybody expect Michael Thomas to emerge as one of the best uh, wide receivers in the league, and Cortland Sutton going to the Pro Bowl. You're seeing a lot of guys. I mean, DJ Clark uh, having you know Groga. So, so I think that right now you know, you have a better chance if you're a second, third rounder to establish yourself at wide receiver in this passing league. But also what you're seeing.
seeing is that the running back position is that, uh, you know, everybody wants multiple type running backs, you know, because, you know, you have your third down uh, back on passing downs, you have your power back on rundowns, and, you know, most of the top teams in the league, you know, have to establish a good running game. And they may have, they may be by committee, you know, eight, usually what, eight, nine teams that uh, make the playoffs are going to be teams in the top, say, 13 or 14 rushing the football. So, you know, it's like uh, you can maybe not get the money at running back, but you can certainly establish yourself a little bit faster at wide receiver. Maybe not in the first year, but by the second year and the third year, because sometimes that conversion for a wide receiver is more difficult than it is for a running back. Utes have a history of putting defensive linemen in the NFL. Uh, Bradley and I, Lucky Foto, what do you think might happen to these guys in the draft? Yeah, I'd say right now that uh, they're like second and third round. I mean, this is not a great year for edge rushers, but certainly uh, because, again, there may only be uh, as few as three maybe four that'll go in the first round. But uh, when you start to get into the second round, there's a lot of options there. And so it's just a matter of, you know, which teams are looking. But that's the one thing you know, that kind of hurts a little bit because most teams have made their moves, whether it's for a 3-4 outside linebacker or a 4-3 defensive end. And so that draws things down a little bit. We watched that in free agency with wide receivers because what happened with the wide receivers is they thought they were going to get 10 or $11 million, but with so many wide receivers in the draft, that pulled things down. And so just, it's good. So, so some of those defensive edge rushers will drop at the you know, second, third round seems to be the nature. Did uh, David Locke grate on your nerves when he worked in Seattle? <laughs> no, we, we got along great. He grates on our nerves. He's a good. He's a good man. I miss talking to him. Oh, okay. Well, we have him on every week. We maybe we should get you on, and you should surprise him one week. That'd be fun. Bust his chops. We'd love that. John, was, of course, sometimes sometimes he got a little crazy on some of the basketball stuff. Yeah, is that a surprise? <laughs> Not really. Breaking down the numbers. Well, he said to say hi. We had him on. Uh, we had him on a little earlier, and he said to say hi to you. He says there were some good times up there in Seattle. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, John, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking about the NFL draft with us. Okay, thank you, John Clayton. You can read him in the Washington Post. He's a contributing columnist, and he's a host on Seven Ten ESPN Seattle, and did more than twenty years at ESPN. And they did a bunch of downsizing, but uh, he was always popular. Remember him and Sean Salisbury going at a PK? They used to go back and forth. That was the classic ex-jock oh, and sure. career journalist guy, and they take their shots at each other. And, and they did a good job about not talking about it a lot, except for on air when they were firing off on each other. So people were always trying to figure out, okay, was that last exchange? Really or that was fake because I think the first one was real but I think the second one they were just screwing around people could never get a handle on it yeah and then they had the commercial where he he's like a button up dude and then mm-hmm. when they finish the commercial they show his hair it's all long and he's a hard rocker Slayer <laughs> yeah, yeah. Had, the, had the ponytail and Ma Ma I'm done with my interview <laughs> that was a classic alright well good to have John Clayton on the air and, and uh, let's hold on to that for a little while uh, and when we need uh, some NFL talk again let's bring him in and, uh, and not tell David and surprise David with it alright Yak, Yak likes that he's got a little evil grin going on right now he likes setting that hey, up I interned for David I know him as well as yeah, you guys do absolutely so. throw David a curveball absolutely right? exactly alright DJ and PK we gotta take a break stay with us it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. It's cool, man. Just especially just being a part of it, the first the first one, and, and to be you know able to compete with these guys, you know Zach, Chauncey, and Tamika, you know great opponents, and um, all the guys who were involved. Trey, I mean everybody, Chris. I mean it was just a fun fun environment to, to be a part of, and um, give us all something to do, you know, in, in this yeah. time that uh, we're all just sitting around the house. That's Mike Conley right there. The Jazz Guard wins the horse competition. He was indoors. It's a championship. Everybody else was outdoors. <laughs> what was it, PK? The horse championship? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. What oh, was no, it? He salvaged, uh, yes. he salvaged a measure of respect uh, <laughs> on this season. I, I think that, you know, we have to put it, you have team accomplishments and individual awards. And so I would ask the people out there, and maybe we should have done this earlier or we could do it later you know in terms of individual accomplishments you've got Gobert and Mitchell making the all-star team for the first time you got letter carriers uh, what's he got multiple MVPs Two. you got Stockton with his assist and steals record and now you got Conley salvaging the horse title where does this rank on the list of individual accomplishments by jazz players over the years Rudy's defensive player of the year Awards. Donovan Mitchell slam dunk championship. Jeremy Jeremy Evans. Evans. Jeremy Evans. Jeremy Evans. Don't leave Jeremy Evans out of this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Where does this rank? Jeff Hornacek's three point shooting contest titles. He won two of them. What have I left out? Stockton and Malone on the Dream Team and the 96 Olympic team. D. Will and uh, Carlos Boozer. I think this has got to rank right there. Frank Layton, Executive of the Year. Jerry Sloan, Coach of the Year. No. Wait a second. No. Idiot voters. Criminal. (laughs) It's all expectations. Hall of Fame. Had too many expectations. (laughs) Where do you put this on the list? I mean, you you love a good list. Where do you put it? Well, it's going to have to go below, behind Carl Malone's MVPs. It's got to go behind Stockton Malone, uh, Stockton's career and Steele's assist records. Chris, Why? Because they're bigger. Yeah, but they didn't even keep Steele's until like uh, 1997 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, right? he didn't beat 32 NBA players. It was an eight-player tournament, and a couple of them weren't even – how many NBA players were in that tournament, Yak? Chauncey Bells would be an ex-NBA player. There were – you had Levine. At least two. So there were tops. There were five. You had two. No, three WNBA players. Was it three? I knew there were two. There were three. Yeah, no. I'm downgrading. I'm putting it behind Donovan's slam dunk title in front of Jeremy Evans' slam dunk title. That's where it goes for me. Uh, I'm putting it right below drafting Enos Cantor. <laughs> oh, man. All right, other stuff we've talked about. Uh, Quinn looked like he's been sleeping and eating 
and a lot of the stress and tension had, melt, had melted away. How much of that do you think Jill is right? How much of that was he was wearing his hair different? And we're all just reading into this too much. He didn't have his hair slipped back. Oh, I think that it was uh, his personal appearance. It was his face. Uh, it was everything about him, man. He looked casual. I, I, I'm telling you, I think when they come back, he should just go out in a golf shirt and <laughs> just like Larry Miller did. Be more relaxed, man. I mean, you look at Sean Miller down in Arizona. Doesn't he look like the players? Majerus used to talk about bench eye. Doesn't he look like he coaches, not just bench eye with those guys, those Wildcats? Doesn't it look like it's you know, they're fully frontal facing him? With uh, the pressure and yes. how much he grips during a game? Yes. Gosh, relax. Yes. <laughs> I am with you 100%. And the Majerus bench eye is an excellent point. You know, a coach who is capable of intimidating players, who is also fully aware that that intimidation can cross over the useful into the not useful at all. You know, the five guys on the court need to be focused on what's going on in the court. They don't need bench eye. That doesn't help. Yeah. And Majerus would admit that that was an issue that he projected, and he tried mm-hmm. to work on that. Yeah. Uh, we talked earlier about um, about what you're watching. We do that every day. And we got into the what you could be watching. There's a documentary on the history of the jump shot. Kenny Sailors, former Wyoming player, uh, in the 1930s, Basketball was all set shots, and he pioneered the jump shot, changed the game. Steph Curry's doing a documentary. It's available online. Uh, if you go to my Twitter feed, David uh, DJ James tweeted out some stories and links on it. Uh, Kevin Durant uh, did it, was interviewed for this and put a tweet out on it. And Paul Kirk, and you and I know Paul Kirk, but I don't think a lot of people in Utah know Paul Kirk. Uh, he's relatively new. He just finished his first year, and he does all the media for Utah football, right? So every yeah, Monday when we're up there uh, yeah. at Kyle Whittingham's press conference, he's literally the guy with the microphone, one of the you know 150 things he does for Utah football media, um, running around handing the microphone off to people, and he's running the press box on game days and releases and a million interview requests and a thousand other things. He saw that tweet, and he tweets out, so fortunate I had the chance to get to know Kenny Sailors in high school in Alaska. He was coaching a girls team in our league. Small towns, we all knew each other. We were amazed to learn he pioneered the jump shot. He gave us all coaching (laughs) tips and was so generous with his knowledge. So uh, Paul was in uh, Skagway, Alaska, which is a small town that I only know about because if you do if you do that Inland Passage cruise up there, which we did for my in-laws 50th wedding anniversary, Skagway is one of the teams that you or one of the towns you pull into. Towns. Yeah, so we were in there one day and hit awesome weather, and it couldn't have been prettier. It's a, It was a uh, the whole Klondike gold rush thing. That was where people went, and then from there they went up the hill, up the mountain, over the hill, and into the backcountry to go chase their fortunes. So there's a lot of uh, gold cool. mining history stuff there. So anyways, Paul grew up in that small town in PK. I walked it, and it's like, it's a grid, and it's like six blocks wide and about uh, 20 blocks deep, and that's it. You can walk it in about 10 minutes, so real small town. You walk the halls? And yet, no, I did not walk the halls. Uh, Paul. <laughs> Just go with it. He Paul walked knows, the mean streets I of Skagway. Walked, that's what I did. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> oh, man. 
I, I felt right at oh. home when I walked in. You just you, you're walking up the street there, and it's it's a grid. You can't get lost. And then you pass the LDS ward, and you're just like, eh, I'm still in Utah, even if I'm in Alaska. You thought you were home. I thought it was small town Utah. It really did. You just... went in and pulled out a little piece of paper out of your suit pocket, and away you went. <laughs> Me and my companion. <laughs> Yuck. Um, well, I'm just Yuck. on a regular Sunday. Oh, on a regular Sunday. Uh, okay. It. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? What, <laughs> people are now tweeting out banners in the arena. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and they've doctored them. Hey, they've I gone advocated into the for this Photoshop. Last night. They've gone into the Photoshop. Mike Conley, 2020 horse champion. <laughs> oh, for sure. I said that on Monday if he would have won this thing. Um, and he did win this thing. We got ourselves a championship in 2020. Dave Fox, has, Dave Fox has tweeted it out. I'll retweet it. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's where I just brought that up about as far as individual awards. All those banners, most of them anyway, there's a few Western Conference, obviously, uh, division back then, and, and then the two Western Conference titles. But the rest of them are basically individual awards. Where does this rank? I think you've got to have some form of acknowledgement. And you have a little picture, a little drawing, and he's shooting a J right-handed. All right, what else have we talked about this morning? Uh, We talked about USC quarterback JT Daniels entered his name in the transfer portal. Uh, They had three quarterbacks actually played because Fink came in as well. But um, JT Daniels, who was going to be the starter and then got got hurt in the second quarter of the season opener, right before halftime, and now he's put his name in the portal. That would be a good get for some team out there, PK. You got to assume there's going to be some interest. Somebody wants to upgrade the quarterback position right now. Yes, I mean, you got to see what his health is uh, because obviously that was a major injury. But in my mind, the NCAA should rule that he's immediately eligible because he missed 95% of the season last year and he couldn't leave. He couldn't transfer then. He, and he had no idea how Slovis was going to do. Plus, he needed to be there for his medical condition and situation. I do think the NCAA should look kindly upon JT Daniels and grant him uh, the exception to be immediately eligible. I don't know what the particulars were with Jack Tuttle, but I know Jack Tuttle was granted an immediate uh, eligibility over there in Indiana. I don't know what they based it on. So in my mind, if you did that, then they should be able to do that for this kid, Daniels. Uh, Slovis looks like he's going to be the guy. I mean, his accuracy last year was so freaking awesome. I mean, he looked like Joe Montana with his accuracy. And so it looks like that, you know, they're going to go in that direction. And Daniels, yeah, that's the way of the world there with the quarterbacks. So you get an opportunity to go someplace else. If he's healthy, he certainly had all the stats and all the numbers and everything. You know, he graduated early to to get there and to get that position because it was coming open uh, and uh, see what happens there if he does get his eligibility. And Clay Helton was, uh, saw, saw an interview that he did saying, you know, the kid's welcome to come back. So uh, it's just the nature of the business there with quarterbacking. So the question is, uh, you think he'll stay in the Pac-12? Or do you think he runs off, you know, SEC or whatever? He's a Southern California guy. He's a modern-day guy, the modern-day pipeline to USC. You can't doubt the power of that thing. So does he end up at, a, you know, an Oregon, a Washington, a Washington State? Who's set at quarterback? Who needs help? Cross town to UCLA? Stay in town? 
Well, I think of the quarterback, I don't think you have to go to a big school. You know, we're seeing Jordan Love obviously being a first-round pick, Carson Wentz being a first-round pick. There's been a number of those guys in a situation, so I wouldn't rule out a Mountain West situation, too. Obviously, he could go south to San Diego State, go north to Fresno if that's what he wanted, and, and go anywhere east. And there's plenty of schools that can get you the exposure because if you're good enough, they're going to find you. So I don't think he needs to go to a Power 5 necessarily, guaranteed. So at this point, I really have no idea where he's going to go. If he even leaves, it looks like he would because right now he would uh, be on the same track as Slovis. Both of them would be sophomores because Daniels would have used his redshirt year last season. So uh, with the three year stay in college rule for the NFL I don't see Daniel sitting around for two years waiting for an opportunity to take over for one season that just nobody nobody does that they don't even do that if you're seems like if you're two grades behind them they don't do that anymore if you think you can start someplace else well uh in quote-unquote normal times he could play this fall it would be his third year and if he had a big year well health but but health permitted though sure but he, yeah, but but if he looks good, he could be eligible for the draft. Now, we may not have a fall season. What if it's a spring season and that could overlap at the draft and, you know, on and on. And you're right about the health. He's had, you know, a full year to come back from the ACL because when he got hurt, he could play a full season. Now, you know, maybe it's going to be a month into the season. I don't have any idea how it's gone, if there have been any setbacks along the way. Um, but because he did get hurt in the season opener, well, they I, could said- play, I could play a good chunk of this. They said he wasn't going to be ready if for certainly for spring and maybe not for most of fall camp. Yeah. Which, especially if you end up changing schools, could be a big setback, you know, not having time to, to practice with your new team and to, you know, throw and to really get into a groove. Uh, so we'll just have to see how it plays out for him. But that would be, you, you would think that'd be a pretty big get for some school out there. All right, uh, DJ and PK, other, anything else we talked about you want to hit here? We're up against it, but uh, anything else you want to mention? We talked a little bit about Michael Jordan and this uh, documentary that they're going to be uh, airing starting on Sunday. And he talks about where he says that uh, you're going to think I'm not a good guy. And I'm wondering if you just need to have that killer mentality, so to speak, and don't worry about being a good guy. To win six titles, is that exactly what you need? So I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I also think no matter how much we see on the film, there's still going to be conflict. We're not going to completely understand because we're not going to know all of the backstory. Some of it's got to hit the cutting room floor. Some of it comes from previous years. So there's still going to be stuff, the context we don't get. The problem with Jordan and the bad guy is no matter how much we explain away the competition and we use the old Rick Barry line, you know, I'm a good guy if you get me away from the competition. But yeah, I was kind of a bleep when we were, you know, out there competing. I don't think any of us will really understand why it was such a combative Hall of Fame speech because that's five years after you retire and you're done competing, and everybody who watched that, n- nobody walked away with the warm fuzzy after that. That was kind of like, wow. <laughs> wow. So he still had some of it then. Now maybe, I don't know, maybe we saw him interviewed now. Maybe it's been a few more years, and he's, you know, you mellow out sometimes when you get older, and maybe he's done that. But it didn't seem like he'd mellowed out at the Hall of Fame speech. I'm pretty sure you remember that. Yeah, obviously not. I mean, he was picking on Brian Russell, of all people. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, 
Those are the Slacker Radio headlines, getting you all up to speed on stuff you've missed earlier in the show. It's brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Your feedback next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time for your feedback, what you're thinking about today's show. There is a uh, Spencer Cox, the lieutenant governor, was on our show uh, right after uh, the Jazz and the NBA went on hold, and we talked to him, and uh, he put out a tweet this morning, and he was doing a live TV talk back with somebody. Actually, I think, judging by the graphics, it was Channel 2, but I can't tell for sure. But anyways, he says, uh, early morning media is so much easier when you can do it from home. And then there's a shot of him, and he's uh, he's got the dress shirt on, he's got the coat on, but it's, uh, it's shorts down out of camera range there. And a Jake Hatch at Yacht Talk tweets out, I think at PK Kennan needs to show us how he plans to one-up the lieutenant governor. People are curious, how do you dress for the show now that you're working from home, PK? Nude. <laughs> Yock, we were waiting for it. Yach gets fist-pumping in the next room. Yach, what are you fist-pumping for? The response we all wanted. <laughs> I don't think you speak for everybody, Yak. I don't. He's a man of the people. Well, he speaks for the ladies, obviously. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There you we doing? go. How you doing? Hey, how you doing? PK, take it off, baby. Oh, again, jeez. Was that all so you could play now. a drop, Yak? That's a long straight. way to go. I don't that. <laughs> oh, brother. Absolutely, you damn right. Hey, PK, you found a, uh, a thing on Twitter, Sports Pac-12, at Sports Pac-12, and you said, keep an eye on this, DJ. Yeah. It's got a lot of those lists you love, a lot of those numbers you love. And I do love some of the stuff they tweet out. Some of it's over the top, even for me. Uh, but they are obsessed about the Pac-12. So if you're a U fan, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good follow. Uh, and they put out uh, 2020 football projected wins per ESPN FPI. They're their whole little uh, computerized football thing. And they put, now of course this assumes the 12-game season, they put Utah at nine wins. Now we've seen some, uh, we've seen some stuff out of uh, betting sites where the Utes are at eight or 8.5 wins. Yeah. Nine. And so I'm curious, they had Oregon at 11, Utah and USC at nine, Washington and Stanford at eight and seven, and then at six wins they have ASU, UCLA, Cal and Wazoo in the north. Arizona and Oregon State at five, and Colorado's at four. So basically, they got Utah and USC sitting on nine wins. USC's got the tougher non-conference schedule, so I assume that under this, USC's the favorite to win the division. Utah's second, ASU and UCLA are three, four. Uh, And I put it out, Uh Ute fans, do you love this number or do you hate it? Is this another good Utah team that comes up short of a conference title and frustrates you? Because goodness knows, you and I have both seen it on social media, there are Ute fans out there who are just bitter that they don't have a conference title yet and think Whittingham has failed them. And neither neither you or I sign off onto that, and they know that, and that just gets them all the more on fire on Twitter. I wonder, given the circumstances this year, you're going to have a new quarterback, whichever guy they go with, and the defense has to be rebuilt. Will this be another good Utah team that didn't get it done and Whittingham failed? Or will this year, you think people will soften up and say, hey, they had a long way to go to rebuild. Nine was a pretty good season. 
Well, if you go nine and three this year, uh, assuming there's a full season, whenever this year is, this season, and you replace all these kids who are not only graduating but going to the NFL or leaving early in the case of a couple of kids, going to the NFL, and you replace uh, nine starters and you win nine ball games, yeah, that's a phenomenal season. Kyle Whittingham is coach of the year, runaway coach of the year. Are you kidding me? That would be awesome. I stand by my statement that Utah gets – some of the best respect nationally of any program in the country because if you lose nine starters all of whom could potentially play in the nfl and a quarterback and your all-time leading rusher and you rebound to go probably which would be six and three in conference if you go three and oh in non-conference that is extremely high expectation and that's the respect out of kyle whittingham and his coaching staff and what they have that's what that's all about it's paying respect to the program to think that they're going to do that this year and if anybody anybody would be disappointed at nine and three six and three this next season you are so out of whack with your level of expectations the real you tweets at us i think seven or eight wins is realistic based on the talent we're replacing we have some ballers coming in but they're unproven at this point I think the real, exactly, yeah, yes. the, the real you is pretty grounded right there. That's not a crazy fan. We I know they're out there. I agree 100% with what he's saying, yeah. yes. All right, we're out of time. Scotty and Hands are coming up next. PK, have a good weekend. We'll see you Sunday night on Talking Sports. Okay.